Hello, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, and the Ball and Chain podcast is brought to you, as always, by Zen Sports, which is the peer to peer mobile sports betting app where anybody can come in and create and accept sports bets with anyone else in the world without the need for a bookmaker. Uh, I'm actually broadcasting today from our office in downtown San Francisco. I uh, started actually working at our office again about a week and a half ago. Uh, WeWork has done a fantastic job of setting everything up uh, for all the social distancing measures and safety measures that are needed. And I just need to get the hell out of the house uh, or the apartment, I should say. And so uh, recording this today from WeWork, uh, I know the acoustics at WeWork are not as ideal probably as back in my apartment, uh, but uh, we're going to roll with it anyways and uh, need it for my sanity. Uh, which is good, and uh, that's been going well. Uh, interesting, uh, another update on the major sports leagues coming back. So yesterday, uh, Shams Tarania from The Athletic uh, reported that the NBA uh, has Orlando and Disney World now as the clear front runner for the return to play site when they come back. And I say when, not if, because uh, they're coming back. And so really excited about that. It makes all the sense of the world. They already have basketball courts built at Disney World to be able to support uh, the NBA and the players. And of course, it can turn into a campus and a bubble and all that good stuff from a safety perspective. So just makes the most sense. And, and you know, let's get this going. Um, definitely excited to, to hopefully have it come back. And it also sounds like the NHL is considering Vegas for their, uh, for their return as well. And I would say baseball is probably the furthest away in terms of finalizing something just because there's now this spat between the players union and the owners as to the possible modified pay for the players, given that there won't be any fans in the, uh, in attendance. So that should be interesting to see how that plays out, but definitely looks like the NBA and NHL are coming back. And and baseball honestly has already, uh, has always had the toughest road to coming back because they have to start their season from scratch. Whereas the NBA and NHL can, pick up from where they left off or even skip the last few remaining games of the regular season and go right to the playoffs. So anyways, uh, that's your update. Um, more soccer leagues are coming back online soon, which is great news as well. And uh, sports world in general is being turned back on, which is awesome to see. All right. So uh, today we have our uh, guest is uh, Bjorn Nielsen, who is the uh, co-founder of uh, Trigi. Uh, which is a data analytics and data and odds and uh, other data provider for uh, sports betting platforms. And he's going to talk more about that and data and uh, sports betting tech in general. And excited to have Bjorn on the podcast all the way from Sweden. How are you today, I'm good, Bjorn? Mark. Thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. So um, appreciate you joining. Uh, I know it's late in the evening by you, so and you're you're in the middle of a remodel. Yeah, that correct? that's correct. I, it's a, it's a complete mess here, but anyways, um, here I am. Well, that's good. It's a perfect chance to get away, take a take a break, and get on a podcast and uh, take a break from uh, take a break from home life. So um, we originally, you and I met a little over a year ago, April two thousand nineteen, at the betting on Sports America conference uh, in New Jersey, and uh, our booths were right next to each other. 
And I saw, you know, obviously kind of what you guys were doing from a, a data perspective and providing data to other sports betting platforms out there. And I really liked, you know, kind of the whole concept that you were uh, trying to provide data to engage uh, fans uh, within those sports betting platforms. Uh, and also that you had obviously a clean, simple, you know, uh, API for developers to tap into uh, to implement uh, your product into theirs. So why don't we start with that? Uh, a, tell us a little bit about your background. And if you want to go uh, and start prior to uh, Triggy, uh, that works. Um, and then tell us more about Triggy, what it does, what the product offering is, uh, and kind of your mission and goals uh, with regards to Triggy. Sure. Uh yeah, betting on Sports America. That was a uh, that was a great show, I think, uh, and the first real one on, on U.S. soil. Uh, so happy to have been part of that. But um, uh, my background: I've been in the uh, industry for just about twenty years. Uh, that's uh, I've split that between gaming and sports betting, uh, pretty much evenly. Uh, so. Uh, since 2004, I've been running my own businesses and uh, I've been uh, a management consultant at uh, a number of firms here in, in Sweden and uh, across Europe. Uh, but we started Triggy uh, three years ago and um, the intention at first was to create a, a user-friendly B2B2C product where customers could uh, play or set a set of rules to place automatic bets. That was the idea. For instance, if Liverpool goes 1-0 up, uh, the odds is above uh, one fifteen, and uh, there's at least 30 minutes left of the game. Place $100 for me. Um, but the operators were quite reluctant to a solution like this. Um, they were afraid uh, that really good punters would come in and uh, destroy their margins. So we uh, changed the concept and made it more uh, mainstream. So we turned it into a notification service uh, in a standalone app. So today we deliver the product to three sports books and um, uh, they're completely white labeled uh, marketing apps uh, with live score and, and uh, live data uh, where players can either toggle on an event to uh, to get notifications when a game starts, when a goal is scored, uh, when there is a halftime, uh, and, um, and with every notification, we send what we call next bets. And next bets are the three bets that you're most likely to want to place at any given time, both based on context and uh, your preference or your history as a, uh, as a punter. Uh, and then we have the more advanced version of it where you can go in and set your rules and say, send me a notification uh, when this, this, and that has happened. Uh, because when you get that notification, you know it's something that you want to place a bet based on. So it sounds to me, though, like that's still pretty important data that could help out a, a sports better, and that you know, traditional bookmakers might not still like their customers having access to that for a variety of reasons and, or, you know, just the fact that they might have an advantage. So maybe can you describe the difference between what you said the sportsbook did, what the sportsbooks didn't want their players to have access to 
versus what you're actually providing now and how that's okay by bookmakers. Yeah, so what they didn't want was it to be automated. So let's say that you created a uh, hundred different sets of alerts for one game, uh, and they could be they can build on each other or they can contradict each other. You could have a pretty advanced system for how to how to um, manage your funds in in one game. Uh, they thought that was a bit scary. Uh, whereas uh, the solution we have today, it sends a notification. Yeah, this just happened. Do you want to place your bet? It is a very good tool. It is what professional punters have in their Excel sheets or the models that they have built themselves. Uh, but it's difficult to to monitor a lot of games at the same time, uh, even using an advanced Excel solution. But the solution we have, it's quite simple for for any players to set their rules and to play along with statistics to to make more educated bets. Um, and that seems to be okay with operators because it's a way to engage their players. And the odds that they offer, the sports books offer at any given time, is what they want to to have the bets on. So, right. So um, essentially, it's the de-automation of being able to place those bets or act on that information that is um, acceptable. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to talk about that's that's awesome. So we're going to talk about engagement a little bit later um, because that's I think a huge important piece. Um, with regards to data. Um, but in the meantime, um, so that's a really good overview. In the meantime, you also have, I guess it is a holding company called Flax Innovations that has built out Triggy. Is that correct? And how do the two tie in? Yeah, that, that's correct. And um, uh, we will likely change the name of Flax Innovation to Triggy Holding because uh, our initial thought was that Triggy was one product and then we were going to you know, build another and a third and a fourth product uh, that we're going to keep in separate companies. But the reception we have received for Triggy is uh, a lot uh, better than we anticipated. And uh, there is so much uh, to do on that product alone. So we're not going to have time to to dig into the other things we had in mind. So, so Triggy is the only product under flag. Yeah, that's right. That's that right. Correct. Got it. So how did you come up with the idea for Triggy and how did you come up with the idea that it should be an API versus you becoming an operator and just having a better, you know, mousetrap type of thing uh, to offer to customers? Like what, what was the inspiration for A, the product itself and B, how you rolled out the product and how you offer it to other uh, companies yeah. right now? So uh, good question. If you, if you move out of the U S uh, everyone that places bets, uh, have a live score app on their phones. Uh, there are hundreds of millions of downloads of live score apps throughout Europe, uh, Asia, and uh, and, La and LATAM. Uh, but all of these live score apps are third-party products, and they act as affiliates. It's a great business, obviously, for for the live score operators. Uh, but it's not a great experience for the sportsbook operator. So we saw that gap was quite clear. If we build a white label live score product with betting features in them like we have, that could be a, a smart way to offer this product to operators so that they can own the full live score and customer journey um, from the player opens an account until he places his bets and from the game starts until the game is over. So the, the operator has a way to interact with 
his customer throughout you know the whole life cycle whereas today most players they they go to their sports book they place their, their bets and then they come back after the game is is done unless they do some live betting in the meantime and then they follow the game in a third party live score app where they get prompted with ads from other sports books uh, with uh, new bonus offers and things like that so this is uh, tricky is a solution for operators to really own the full experience yeah i was going to say that's exactly i mean as you were talking there that was the first thing that came to mind is like that's a lot of moving pieces i gotta go to this app to check out this i gotta go to this app to place a bet and i gotta go to this app to get that and that's just a lot of fragmentation that you know frankly uh, what people may do and if there's money on the line they don't want to do it that way so you're saying that you're able to just simply offer that uh, API uh, to the operators to then be able to integrate the data points and notifications in your product into their product. Uh we will be able to offer an API. We're working on packaging Tricky as an API so that the operators can put all the Tricky features within their own uh, betting apps or websites. We don't offer that yet. Uh, we will in a few months. But right now, we offer a white label app that we host uh, and we build. We do everything for the operator. They send us a brand book and they give us access to their offerings API so that we can read their events and their odds. So, so that it. uh, it's super simple to get started uh, with us. And then we put the apps in Google Play and App Store. So selfishly, I can tell you that we'd be interested in at Zen Sports once you have the API for that for integrating that data. Uh, when do you think that'll be coming uh, out? This fall. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I mean, well, so we should definitely talk more sure. about that. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the different uh, types of products you have. So you have notifications. I know you mentioned next bets, uh, live score widgets. What's the difference between all those three things, and how do they play into each other currently? Uh, yeah, so you have the the vanilla flavor of uh, of Triggy is you subscribe to a team or you toggle on one game that you want to listen to. Then you will get a notification when the game starts, uh, and it will say the game just started, and you and you tap it, and you will get three next bet suggestions. Uh, and the next bets are then contextually based, so. Yeah, the game just started. You have the favorite, so maybe it's an over/under bet, and it's a um, uh, it's a winner, and it's a correct score. Um, and the player then just uh, hits one of those to take them directly to the bet slip of the operator to place the bet. So you don't have to navigate anywhere else. It's just one tap. Then you're in the bet slip. You select stake and place your bet. It takes 15 seconds. Um, then. Next bets are obviously what I just described here as uh, contextually based as well as AI-derived betting suggestions. Uh, and live score widgets. So in our app, we, uh, we provide info uh, and stats about the current game, about the teams, about the form, that so the last five games they've played, what's, what's the results been, uh, the head-to-head -head information against their current <clears throat> opponent, uh, the table and so forth. Right. So you mentioned you had a few different operators as customers. Are you able to name any sure. of them? Or um, is that, yeah, it'd be great to know who. Yeah. So uh, 
We're live with uh, sportsbet.io, which is a uh, crypto-based, uh, or not only, but uh, they come from the crypto um, world. Uh, sportsbook, uh, they're very high roller friendly and uh, have a great offering. Uh, they are our first and also largest customer uh, to date. Then we're live with uh, Leo Vegas, which is a Nasdaq Stockholm listed uh, company that uh, targets uh, primarily regulated markets in Europe, but also India and uh, Japan. Um, and then we're going live with uh, Pinnacle.com within, uh, within a couple of days. Uh, any U.S.-based operators, or are they still like trying to get their bearings with the U.S. market? You know, still in its no. We uh, we're not live with any U.S. operator yet, but uh, we plan to be uh, in a couple of months. So, what we've been spending our time on the last couple of months is uh, first of all building uh, support in our product for a second sport. It's all soccer today, uh, but we're adding football uh, come August. Uh, for the preseason, and we're at what's that? Soccer is football. <laughs> soccer is football. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Especially where you live, right? I mean, you, I, I mean, <laughs> well, I'm shocked to hear you call it well, soccer in the betting world, right? Uh, even in Europe, it's soccer, football. Uh, but yeah, so we're adding American. So I didn't know that. So, so in the betting world over in Europe, they do call soccer soccer. Is that just yeah. to eliminate the confusion? No, yeah, it is to eliminate confusion. Uh, if we would call it American football, then, you know, it's just, it's soccer and football. We, we do it that way. So, yeah, we're, we're adding football for August and basketball for um, uh, October or for the start of the NBA. And... Um, and uh, then we're looking into more sports, obviously, uh, all the American sports, but uh, baseball and uh, and then the one of the most fun sports, uh, cricket. Is in the world. Yeah, so that's huge in India. Yeah, I, I, I went to a um, uh, actually an S, another SBC event in, uh, in February. Uh, it was called Betting on Football. But they had one um, one session in there was betting on cricket, and uh, the panel there. I think they concluded that the turnover on cricket betting in India was two hundred and fifty billion dollars in twenty eighteen, uh, and that's wow. that's equivalent to the GDP of a country like Finland. Wow, and and is so. It- so many of these sports betting rules and regulations worldwide are so ridiculously fuzzy, especially when you get outside of Europe, like what's legal, what's not. And, you know, I mean, we have these interesting challenges, for example, like with Zen sports, because we're peer to peer. So we had yet another gray area in layer two, sure. you know, the whole uh, legal discussion. Um, but like, for example, like a country like India, like from what I understand, it's, it's technically sports betting is, is illegal there, but it's such a, it's so widespread anyways that the government basically just kind of turns, you know, the other cheek uh, um, and just lets no, it happen. Anyways. I think it's quite difficult still to be an operator in India. And the most difficult part of it is the payment processing. Uh, it's a lot of it's done. But that's where crypto comes in. Right? Excuse me? 
but that's where crypto comes. Yeah, in. so crypto plays a part, but uh, you also have uh, like we used to do back in the days in Korea and uh, so forth. You have runners, you have people on mopeds uh, going around collecting cash. Wow, and so like also for example, like we've integrated Skrill. Um, so Skrill is huge in India because you can actually walk into a storefront, pay cash, and deposit money in your Skrill account. So that's interesting. So they have runners in India that actually will go around to collect the cash yeah. for that. Huh. Wow. That's a whole bit. That's a whole business in and of itself. Oh, it is. But, it's, uh, <laughs> but we hope that India will, uh, will come around and, uh, and regulate at least in, uh, in some of the bigger states and more friendly, uh, friendly states when it comes to betting. Uh, obviously they can make a lot of money, um, taxing it. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think at the end of the day, that's one of the reasons why, for example, so with the Supreme Court overturning PASPA two years ago, it's literally two years ago to the date back in May of 2018, um, you know, 18 states plus the District of Columbia have legalized sports betting. And I I think, you know, when you add in the whole COVID factor and so many states are struggling with finances now, I mean, uh, California, for example, where I live is projected to go $54 billion in debt um, due to COVID. I mean, they are going to be looking for additional revenue streams and boom, there's one staring them right in the face, which is offering sports betting and taxing it. So I think, I think actually COVID is going to accelerate the, I mean, it's already been moving pretty quickly here in the US, but I think COVID is going to accelerate the legalization of sports betting in the US, as well as in other countries that don't have it legalized right now. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, <laughs> what are my thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you can give your yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, you may be right, especially in some states in the U.S. And I really hope so. And I hope that they um, take the the Tennessee uh, sort of approach to it, so that we can get mobile online betting uh, from the get go without any physical presence. Uh, right, just without. $50,000 licensing fee. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I applaud them for going mobile first because they're the only state that has gone mobile yeah. first. But they, they attached a $750,000 licensing fee to it. I'm just like, oh my God. And then the handle too. Like they're having, what is it, a 90%? The hold? Um, or they have a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the hold. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, I think it's 50%, but it, uh, or, well, doesn't matter. It's uh, it's ridiculous, and I don't know how they think that they can do that on something with uh, a six or seven percent margin. It's it's a bit a bit right. tricky. But anyways, uh, I really do hope that uh, that more states will legalize uh, pending the COVID nineteen situation. Um, when it comes to other countries, um, Asia, uh, they should. Uh, in India, for instance, but uh, I don't know how progressive they are um, with those thoughts. True, true, true. Um, I think the one last thing I'll say about that is I think millennials and Gen Z want this, and I think they're pretty vocal about it, especially on like social media and with their friends. And as they get elected into positions of power, like state legislatures and other, you know, um, roles. You know they're going to bring their ideology <clears throat> to the uh, you know to the to the table, and so I think that you are. I think there will be kind of this shift, especially especially at the state level uh, in the U.S. It still may take time at the federal level, but at the state level, um, I really think you know. I mean, there's 
20 year olds getting elected to the state legislature now. Right. And, uh, and they want sports betting. So I think, I think the shift is, is happening. Um, you know, if nothing else, even just for generational reasons, uh, that are kind of coming about. So that's, that's great to see. Uh, what do you consider to be like some of the biggest challenges with, um, that you face on the data side, um, whether it's uh, procuring, uh, data, whether it's disseminating data, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, cleansing the data and, uh, you know, uh, making it uh, usable. Like, what are some of the challenges you face with regards specifically on the data front uh, for a product like Trady? Uh, now, I'm uh, I'm a business guy, uh, not tech or, um, or or on the product side per se. But uh, from my perspective, we, we get data from the biggest provider out there. Uh, it's typically uh, really good not all, not always but uh, but very very high percentage of 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 very good data and um, and the way we use it uh, as we don't offer the actual bets you can't place the bets uh, on our side of things you place the bet with a bookie uh, we don't have to be a thousand percent correct uh, all the time uh, but uh, but we we do get it from Sport Radar and uh, and the quality is really good. So um, I don't see any real challenges for us anyway. Cool. So cool. So um, you know the elephant in the room right now is COVID. Um, with sports, most sports still on hold, but moving very quickly to reopen. Um, so we talked about this, you know, on prior podcast episodes. Uh, esports, of course, has been around the entire time. Um, MMA came back a couple weeks ago. Bundesliga came back last weekend. Sounds like the English Premier League is going to come back soon. PGA Golf is coming back in a few weeks. It definitely sounds like the NBA, NBA and NHL are coming back in five to six weeks. Um, you know, we, interestingly enough, with Zen Sports, went from about mid-March to mid-April with no bets. Then we added eSports and started getting a lot of bets. MMA came back and we added MMA betting and got even more. And now, of course, with soccer coming back and all the other biggies come back, it's good. So what has it been like for you on the data provider side of things, you know, given the whole COVID situation and, and how that's impacted the sport? Yeah, it's it's been a rocky road. Um, so we went <clears throat> last year, we launched uh, in the summer. Uh, in Q3, we had 900 users uh, of the apps that we provided uh, to the operators uh, then from November through February, we had 90,000 users, so quite a nice growth. And uh, in March, after March 9th, uh, I think we had maybe 2,000 users in all of March. And uh, April, uh, something similar. And then something started happening again on Saturday when the Bundesliga reopened. Uh, so now, I mean, we've lost a quarter here. Uh, so uh, we really, really hope that uh, the Premier League, especially, will come back then on June twelfth, which, which I, which I think it looks like now. Uh, yeah, it looks so like that, a- that's going to make a big difference for, for us. And since we're soccer only, uh, Premier League, Champions League, uh, Serie A, uh, and so forth, that that's going to make a big, big difference. Right. So, and, and you know. It, it looks like it's it's going to be fine. So, um, but yeah, it definitely was uh, was rough there for a little while. So, do you want to talk a little bit more specifically on data uh, and kind of the you know impact on the customer 
the engagement, um, as well as the, the operators, uh, and just kind of like, uh, you know, start to talk about it from an end user perspective and what that looks like for, uh, for customers and uh, the market. So uh, I had Dan uh, Rubin on from Cleet Street a couple weeks ago on the podcast, and they are a <clears throat> very data-driven uh, newsletter uh, that provides you know data tips and uh, modeling on betting using almost entirely just data. Uh, they themselves also you know heavily bet on sports as well, and they share some of that data out with um, their newsletter subscribers. But in any case, um, I think this kind of topic of data is really fascinating in the sports betting world. And we, Dan and I started talking about, you know, even getting into things like, you know, efficient market hypothesis and uh, things that you and I started talking about at the beginning of this pod, which was, you know, how does having more data, you know, uh, positively impact your potential betting outcomes? And, you know, is that bad for sports books? Um, you know, do sports betters care, et cetera, like that. So let's start with just in general, your overall take of how data plays a role in the actual consumer betting on sports uh, now and moving. Yeah. And so data has always been present, uh, but back in the day it was only in the hands of the bookies. They, or they had more of it and uh, therefore they, uh, they had big, bigger margins back then. Now data is available from everywhere. Uh, but to, to utilize the data efficiently, it needs to be um, condensed. Like there is, there is so much. And you as, a, as an individual, especially if you're not like a full-time sports better, you need to have data that's relevant to you. Uh, and it can't be too much of it. And I think that, uh, not to criticize Americans by, by any means, but when you look at all of the... Uh, official sites for 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 NFL for the NBA and so forth it's so full of statistics and data uh, and it's all about yards uh, here and passes and tackles and yeah of course it's relevant uh, but it needs to be easily digestible and it needs to be something that's personalized to you uh, for you to really act on it in a swift manner and when Betting is going to move more and more and more to to the mobile environment, and it's going to move into in play. I mean, in Europe, uh, in play betting is what seventy five percent of the turnover or something like that today, uh, and it's going to be the same thing in the US over over a short amount of time. Then you can't digest. I, let me just interrupt you there for a second. I want to say something about that because I think in game betting is the future, whereas futures and season bets are just like on the way out. Sure. Before. For a variety sure. of reasons. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, you want to make quick turnaround. You want to turn over your money quickly. Uh, it's so much more fun to watch a game, to have the emotion, to see what's going on, to place a bet on, to place a bet on what you think is going to happen next, be it prop bets or or you know uh, other types of bets. Uh, that that's uh, that's been so. Um, so big over here for years and it's just growing and growing and uh, everyone bets in play now. So I think that's going to be the same thing over there. Yeah, I totally agree. And so, you know, in, in speaking to that data, the types of customers that would care about that, obviously the punters and the professionals, they want as much as they can get their hands on that they can process. Um, what about the more mid-tier level bettors 
semi-casual to semi-serious and then the super casual sports bettors um, that are just looking to like bet while they're watching the game with some buddies on TV. Yeah, and if you can start adding some some thought to betting, uh, using data in a smart way. So that's 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 the whole concept and the whole idea why we started Triggy is that there is a lot of data. We can help you show the, show you the most important types of data f- to make an educated bet. And if you can then play with that data uh, before the game starts to, to tell you that if this and that and that happens in this game, send me a notification because then I know it's relevant. That's that's a way of using a lot of data, condensing it and making it personalized. Uh, that's when the data becomes relevant. So how much of that comes down to um, like the user experience of how you're doing things, such as the notifications you send out versus, I don't know, maybe just distilling it down to the top three data points that they care about. Like what is that right balance between product, content, and delivering? Uh, yeah, the product needs to be it needs to be easy to understand it, uh, and it needs to be uh, simple to to create your strategies, uh, and that's what we think we've done with with our interface. Uh, so the product is important, and also for the operator, it's important that they put their name on something uh, that they can back, and that's building on this engagement that their customers have with their brand. That's uh, super important. Uh, and then, I mean, you can listen to, to as I said before, the vanilla flavor, just, okay, the game started, that was a point scored or a goal scored, and uh, that was a red card or um, something like that. Uh, that's, that's just standard notifications. But then when you get into the tailoring of them, that's when you get the full benefit of our product. And that's when you start, as a punter, start utilizing data in a smart way. So is this like the primary tool that sports betting, sports betting operators are using now to drive engagement? Um, do they come back and say, gosh, man, I mean, I was able to increase the uh, stickiness or the engagement or the betting volume uh, of my customers by integrating or having this product? Or is it in conjunction with other tools that they use, um, whatever they might be? Um, to you know, to to keep uh, sports betting enthusiasts like excited about betting with them versus like we talked about earlier, like leaving the platform yeah. and using multiple different you know tools to to try and execute on that. I think this tool that we have uh, it's mostly used for for acquisition today. We built it for betting stimulation and engagement, but it's mostly used for acquisition because you can have it and uh, and push it in in markets where you're actually not allowed to to offer your betting services. You can't push your own apps in App Store and Google Play, but you can push a marketing app that's branded your way. Uh, so that's that's the pr- primary use of our products today. Uh, when we start packaging this as an API, that's when this uh, the Triggy engine is going to be very important for for both stickiness engagement and and especially betting stimulation. Um, there are some other really smart um, tools out there. Especially, I really like the. Uh, the data-driven points that Racing Post, uh, they're not called that anymore, but I forgot their new name. Uh, they have a product where they sort of say uh, in the first half that uh, 
when Chelsea has scored in the first 15 minutes, um, over the last nine games, they, they've scored more than three three goals in the game. Uh, that's that's really good uh, data to push out, but you need to add a, a call to action to it. Uh, but uh, that kind of uh, that kind of product is something that's uh, being used more and more by by the good good sports books. So you talked about before, like you know, with with sports books uh, decreasing margins uh, compared to what they were maybe twenty years ago because of the increased data. I mean, is this just a fact of life that sports books and operators need to live with, and that's why they're okay with it? Is it they're making up for that decrease in margins due to the increase in volume. Um, just kind of curious, like what is the mindset of the traditional like sports book that is just basically having to come to grips with the fact that their players have more data now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, as you operate a betting exchange, you, you know, the answer to that, but um, I, I truly think that uh, turnover is the way uh Going forward, uh, margins are going to be squeezed even more, and uh, it's going to be a turnover game. Um, so, smart products like ours uh, is going to drive that turnover, and that's going to be necessary for these operators to to adapt to that environment. It's not going to be the case where you where you have uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, or even twelve percent margins like some of the sports books had uh, only a few years ago. So. Right. Wow, that's yeah. Those are huge numbers. I mean, what? Well, just when I think about like, <laughs> I mean, like, like Zen Sports is in the one to five percent yeah. range. <laughs> so I mean, it's uh, it's really funny to hear like you know those kind of almost double digit numbers. Um, it just sounds like such a foreign concept. But I think like if you go back to what you talked about earlier, I mean, in the sports betting business, like it can't just be purely about that. Like having the adjacency, you know, and having you know tools where you. Um, maybe get them to subscribe to other products that you have, whether it be, you know, uh, casino gaming or or subscribe to data um, or other types of thing or affiliate marketing, um, where you have just kind of that whole ecosystem and product suite, um, where you're not just a one trick pony. Uh, I think is really important. Like for example, like with Zen Sports, you know, we have ambitions at some point we'll probably expand to other prediction markets, uh, you know, along the way and whatnot. Um, or, you know, possibly to like, you know, casino, online casino gaming or whatnot, just because, I mean, it's, it's, it's sports betting is huge. I mean, it's a, you know, over a hundred billion dollar revenue market every year, but worldwide, but like, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, customers are going to demand, you know, more and more at a lower price. And, uh, I think ultimately that's, that's great. I mean, we, we are good with that. It's on sports. I mean, it's one of the things people like about us, but I, I also think it means like, you know, you know, as, as a business to, to, to continue to grow and expand those product lines and make yourself, you know, uh, uh, you know, be able to have high growth as, as a business, uh, especially if you're in the technology, you know, industry and growth is always is important. Um, so what are your thoughts about kind of like, you know, sports books always looking at other avenues and channels for making money uh, besides just the, the handle that they take on, on the, uh, yeah, well, they need, right? They need to. Uh, just look at a company like uh, Leo Vegas. They're, they have some 900 to maybe 1,000 staff. Uh, sports betting is one part of their business, probably 10% or so, whereas, uh, whereas casino is where they make the real money. Uh, but uh, then you have the, the truly sports-focused uh, operators like Pinnacle, for instance, uh, 
they they have very low margins as well turn turn over a lot of money but they need to add things like esports and uh, where they can have higher margins and uh, focus more and push more towards casino uh, to to get the revenues to to deliver a you know a healthy profit for the business because it costs a lot of money to to run these books yeah that was exactly what I was going to ask next which is I mean, you know, sports books used to be, you know, a guy in the back room or multiple guys in the back room coming up with odds and, uh, you know, figuring out the lines and stuff like that. And that just doesn't seem sustainable uh, from a uh, from a business overhead perspective. Like it feels like the data piece is should not just be for customers, but of course, for the operators to make their back office operations significantly more efficient so that, you know, as margins decrease, like maybe their net margins uh, so their gross margins take a hit, but their net margins are actually still. Fine. Yeah, and that's that's why you have companies like Canby and SB Tech and Melco and uh, what have you that provides the full sportsbook platform to to 30, 40, 50 customers each, uh, because it's just not sustainable to to have everything in house. It's too expensive, especially when it comes to live odds trading. Uh, you need lots and lots of people to do that. Right. So what is probably the one biggest um, complaint that you hear from, because you sell directly to you know, mm-hmm. sports books and, and operators, what's probably the one complaint that you hear from them nowadays with regards to operating a sports betting business? Is it on the data side? Is it the shrinking margins or is it something completely separate? Like pain that they're <laughs> yeah. feeling, like that they want technology to solve. The, the, biggest, uh, the biggest pain is probably uh, regulation in different jurisdictions. Uh, it's just so costly and difficult and uh, to navigate that that environment. I, I understand the ones that uh, that go rogue and just say, okay, I'm not going to have a license because it's uh, it's just too tricky. I'm I'm I can get the customers in in all the regulated markets anyway. Uh, but uh, the ones that play by the book, um, I hats off to them to that they really. Put the time and effort into getting uh, licensed and re- in all of these regulated markets. Uh, it's that's that's the biggest challenge. And that makes one hundred percent sense. And in the U.S., it's like tenfold <laughs> that pain, yeah, <laughs> because of uh, all the things like the Wire Act and the UIGA and everything else that comes into play with regards to operate and then the whole brick and mortar piece, right? I mean, we talked about it, except for Tennessee. So in terms of the consumer side of things, um, with regards to all the data points that are out there and all the different types of data that customers can access uh, for their sports betting, is there, does it ever get to the point where it's just like too much information that's out there? Is it, you know, too much data, too many push notifications, just this, uh, you know, data overwhelming, overload, paralysis by analysis type of thing? And does, does it ever have a potential to turn off uh, customers because there's too much out there? Or do you see that there's no kind of end to the craving that sports bettors want in terms of data? It, it totally depends on who you're talking to. Uh, the uh, Like you said before, the uh, the experts, uh, the top sports bettors, they, they want as much data as they can, as they can read, right? Uh, whereas the mid-level uh, punters or, or entry-level, they, they need condensed data uh, you can't push them too much it's going to be counterproductive um, so that's why we um, 
we let them decide uh, what kind of notifications they want uh, so that we don't sort of uh, overload them. I think that's right, really, yeah. really important because there is way too much data out there for the average Joe. Uh, you need to take that into account. Yeah, and, and as I was kind of thinking, like if you think about like traditional online casino games like, you know, roulette or blackjack, I mean, it's it's really anybody can pick it up, right? I mean, it's really not that hard. But you bring in sports betting and that can be intimidating for a lot of folks, especially when, um, you know, they see lines that they may not understand or they see, you know, uh, you know, player injury and then something changes and, you know, they learn about that and they're like, well, why did this happen? And even for people that are relatively avid sports enthusiasts, that can be, like I said, kind of intimidating. So, I mean, I'm assuming like your product, for example, Triggy, you do a pretty good job of trying to like let people set their settings, if you will, mm -hmm. to um, determine like what kind of amount and how in-depth that that data is that they're getting. Yeah, that's I think that's key. And also, if you look at a sports book, uh, here in Europe, and uh, and you you see how many markets, odds markets they have on one soccer game. It can be over four hundred different odds markets on one soccer game. So wow. I think uh, for ten years the sports betting industry has been talking about innovation, but a lot of that innovation has been put forth to create new odds markets, and that to me is not innovation. Uh, I'd like to see it go back to much, much fewer markets, uh, easier to digest for everyone. And um, I mean, they still have 90% of the revenues probably from, I don't know, 10 markets or, or less. Uh, but it's been sort of a competition between the different providers of, yeah, I can provide you with any crazy kind of uh, prop bets out there. <laughs> uh, but but again, I I understand I understand it because uh, I understand it from one perspective because they can get higher margins on these uh, uh, wild markets, whereas the main or like parlays market, and stuff yeah. like that, right? Well, yeah, sure, parlays, but uh, but even uh, okay, who's going to get a red card first uh, and also score a gold? Um, you know, it can be anything. Right, because it's really tough for the player to necessarily price the likelihood of that. So, as, you know, if they if they see, ooh, this is going to pay, you know, uh, thirteen and a half or something like that, they'll go, oh yeah, I'll jump on that. That sounds great, even though it might really be like sixteen and a half or something like that. Sure, exactly. Yeah. So it almost comes to the point where it's like tough for the for the sports better to really understand how to price it. Yeah. Um, that's where they can make their money. Yeah, I mean, like you know, for example, like with Zen Sports, I mean, we just focus on the biggies. Now we've added more sports lately to make sure that we aren't missing things during a COVID type of world like esports and MMA. But, you know, I think some, like what you were kind of saying, less is really more. Um, and sure we get the occasional request for like cricket um, or something like that. But I mean, I, I just don't see the need to, you know, to offer Taiwanese minor league basketball, right. You know, it's just not, that's just not going to be a big betting league uh, for us to, uh, to offer. So why try to cater to the 1% and then confuse the 99% almost doesn't make sense. I agree. Yeah. Well, Bjorn, this was, this was really, really interesting. Uh, I learned a ton, uh, both about your company as well as like how you approach the data side of things. And, uh, I know it's getting late by you, uh, being in Europe right now. I appreciate you joining, uh, stay safe with, um, with everything out there. And uh, I hope the remodel goes well and let's definitely chat soon once that API comes out.
Thanks, Mark. Uh, it was uh, great being on your show, and um, uh, it is an interesting market and an interesting world that we're that we're facing right now. So, uh, yeah, stay safe, you too, and uh, let's stay in touch. <laughs>